One of the more overused words in our language is the word love. We use it in our everyday language. You'll find two friends, two guys who'll say stuff to each other like, I love you, man. And, and we hear it on the radio. It's, it's a love story, baby, just say yes. Or for the older set here, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, there are many TV shows and movies that explore the topic of love. And there's been literature that's been written throughout all the ages about love. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. So oftentimes we hear this word love and it doesn't really sink in. We don't allow the idea to grab hold of us. We hear the word, make a couple mental associations briefly and, and move on. This happens a lot when we hear the passage we heard today from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. When we begin to hear this passage, a, a large portion of people start thinking about weddings. Because so many have been to weddings when this piece of scripture was read aloud to the congregation. So before the lector gets to say the word of the Lord, uh, many have gone off on some mental rabbit trails. Uh, about some particular wedding, either thinking about one that was really dreadful because of all the family dynamics, or perhaps something that was beautiful and romantic. Now, Paul is not writing for weddings or about love in a romantic sense, or about love in the same ways in which we often use the word, attaching to it some emotions or, or, or some fleeting feelings. Paul is writing about spiritual love to a church in crisis. Members are arguing over who has which spiritual gifts, which gifts are more important than the others, how these gifts should be used. And it seems that uh, members of this particular community are being guided by self-interest. And if they're guided by self-interest, then there are probably issues there about Control. Who gets to have control? And so Paul writes and reminds them of God's love for humanity found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He reminds them of the primacy of this love and that without it, their gifts from God are off or not. Paul reminds them that their gifts are given to them by God as a way to build each other up and to pass on God's love for humankind, to express God's love for humankind. It's an extraordinary letter. Yet 2,000 years later, we still have disputes in our church. We still argue over who has what gifts and for what purpose we use them. And we argue over the authority and control in the church and who has primacy. And there's often, in any church you'll find, uh, factional fighting and jealousy within the church. And although we think that our passions are driven by love, it's often anxiety that drives our passion rather than love. Or at the very least, this anxiety corrupts our love and we wind up with something of a misguided love, one that harms community and relationships because it demands specific results, specific orders, specific conformity to what we want. You you could even see that in the gospel today when the crowd got angry with Jesus It was because he was pronouncing that God's blessing, God's grace, God's love goes well beyond what they expected. 
to the Gentiles. And it's got them all riled up. They're even wanting to control God's love. And so we obstruct this creative, loving force of God because we are trying to order the, order the world around our own anxieties. And in doing so, we create problems. Problems for our communities, problems for ourselves, problems for those we actually love. So it's important to hear what Paul is saying. Love is not resentful or irritable or demanding of its own way. Rather, as the famous lines go, love is patient, love is kind. Love hopes, love endures. Paul is not naming feelings or fleeting emotions. Paul is naming love found in choices we make. We choose love as a way of life. We choose patience, kindness, and hope for others. And through love, we choose to remove burdens rather than increase them. And through love, we choose to guide others rather than control them, even if it means guiding them towards unpredictable outcomes. We choose ways to help others find creativity, help them find their God-given gifts so they might blossom into a fuller expression of God's creation. God's creation, not ours. And this kind of life is within our reach because the Spirit is with us and sustains us and makes it possible to make these choices. And we know this love exists because we witness it in Christ. And even though this anxiety we have spills into all areas of our life, so does love touch all of our relationships if we choose it. We can, we can have love touch our relationships with our neighbors, our friends, our spouses, our siblings, parent and child. And it's never too late to choose love and to pass it on. And Paul describes love as a model for Christian living. And if it's a model for Christian living, then it's a model for all of our relationships. There's a, an Episcopal priest I know, James Jr., and he told me about his father, James Sr., and Sr. was an ex- a successful insurance man and the mayor of the town, and he was very involved in Jr.'s life. And so from his early childhood, Jr.'s early childhood, he was challenged to excel by his father, and they, he would, he would take, Sr. would take Jr. out chopping wood when he was you know, knee high, and Senior would be chopping wood and he'd prop Junior up on a stump and start quizzing him, asking him definitions of words and how to spell and questions about history. And, and Senior continued this pattern of being very involved in the development of Junior, trying to ensure the best possible life for him. And he saw great potential in Junior, and they had this wonderful relationship, a bond that was very deep. And Junior, from a very early age, when he first started speaking, he called him Faf. It was his little pet name because he couldn't say father. So he said Faf. And that name stuck. And that was his pet name. And, and Junior did very well as, as a child and went on to college in the Ivy Leagues. So all that hard work cultivating Junior's gifts paid off. And it seemed 
as if the master plan was working out for senior, until junior came home after college and announced that he wanted to be an Episcopal priest. What? What? An Episcopal priest? I didn't send you to the Ivy League so you could be a priest. You need to be a lawyer or a businessman. If you're a priest, you'll be poor. You'll spend your days shaking hands and kissing babies. You won't bring people to God. People will think of you as a paid witness. And on and on it went, but to no avail. It seemed as if Senior's grand plans for his son would not be realized. And Junior then went on up to, San, uh, up to seminary up in Canada, of all places, which probably didn't help because his father was a diehard Republican. <laughs> and this relationship was impaired between the two. And it made life uncomfortable for everybody else in the family. And Senior just refused to accept his son's choice. And then one day, while Junior was in seminary, Senior was diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And so Junior, out of love for his family and out of love for his father, transferred to a seminary closer to home. And in between semesters, it was clear that James Senior wasn't going to make it much longer. His body was wasting away. He was racked with this horrible disease. And one night, they were sitting in the living room, and the father could barely sit upright. He's barely able to maintain control over his body, waving back and forth, and his head bobbing up and down. And, and Junior looked at him and thought, God, please take him now. He's suffering. The, the man I've known for so long and loved for so long, this strong man, is suffering, and, and I don't even recognize him anymore. And... He walked over to his father and he leaned over and gently kissed him on the forehead. And he said, Good night, Bob. And Senior looked back at him and just audibly enough said, Good night, preacher. And it was a moment right there of reconciliation. It was a moment when a huge burden was lifted from Junior's shoulders. It was a moment that was driven by love because the relationship was repaired. It's senior chose this great gift of love and he wasn't hung up on his own anxieties anymore. And at that moment, he freed his son from his own set of rules, his own set of expectations. Senior died that night. But, but junior felt free, free to use his God-given gifts and he used them with a, a full sense of purpose and joy. He felt free to be the person that he thought he was created to be. That was over 50 years ago. And for 50 years, James Jr. has worked at his vocation, touching the lives of many. And all the while, he's lived this life without a sense of remorse or burden. Because in the end, Sr. chose love. Senior passed along a, a love that has remained with his son and has been spread to others. What a gift. We, we can trust in love eternal. It sprung forth from God in the creation. 
It became known to us in human form, in Christ Jesus. Love will continue beyond all of us. Each lives, each of our lives will end someday. All the things we acquire, all the ways we try to immortalize ourselves, all the projects on which we spend so much time and energy will wither away. The one thing that will last is the love we give away. Our lives have its the biggest impacts when we live as witnesses to love eternal, the same love we experience in God and Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, without love, we are nothing. We have a choice in life. Choose love.